All right, we come to the, the seventh lesson in our, in our series as we talk about uh, faith with regard to the desires of the heart. And so tonight, we'll, our key word is receiving, and that word appears in the prologue to the Gospel of John. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'd like to uh, read John chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 12. John chapter 1. Verses 11 and 12. Let's start at verse 10. Speaking here of the word become flesh, Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, this evening we do pray for your presence to be among us, this according to your promise to be with your people wherever they are gathered, that the Spirit of Christ will come and minister to them. We have gathered in the name of Christ, and we desire to learn of him, we believe in him, we love him and we seek to obey him. And we pray, Father, that obedience would be improved and encouraged and helped through our deeper understanding of the gospel and especially what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to have faith? And so we pray, Father, that you'd minister to us this evening. And Father, in light of some of the announcements were made this evening, our hearts go out to, to those who are injured and we pray particularly uh, for the young ones who might be in pain and afraid. We pray for them, <clears throat> for their healing, but also for their comfort. And we pray for comfort for their parents who are surely under distress and concerned. We pray, Father, that indeed there will be no complications uh, to these injuries. We thank you that we can bring such desires to you, that we can bring all of our concerns to you, we can open our hearts with our failures, with our distress, our concerns, our worries, but also our praise and our thanksgiving. And we do so this evening, Father, thanking you that we have all that we need in our Savior, that he truly is our everything, our all in all. Help us to focus now upon him, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this evening, we want to talk about how faith involves the desires of the heart. We begin with this assumption that faith involves the whole heart. It includes the mind. We covered that yesterday. It involves the will, our choosing. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But it also must include our desires, as we will see this evening. And as we look at some of the truly great theologians in our history, people like B.B. Warfield, it might not be a meaningful name to you, uh, but he is a meaningful theologian. And he has these, this wonderful phrase where he says, faith is a movement of the whole inner man. And so he's kind of saying the same thing, that it's, that it's all of us that's involved, all of our heart. In fact, a short uh, and, and cryptic and, and, and very brief way to think about faith, as it's been described by many people, is that faith is a hearty reliance. It's, it's your heart relying upon God. We'll see more about what that means tomorrow. Gerhardus Voss, who I've quoted several times, says that saving faith involves the whole man with all his capacities involved. And so faith must include the desires because faith includes 
the whole heart. And so it has to include desires. Now the problem is though that some people think of desires as merely emotions and even some theologians fall into, I think, this error or trap and say, well, our faith should never rest upon um, our emotions. The emotions are not the seed of faith, as one person has said. And, and there's a sense in which we understand what they're saying. Uh, that's true. But if that's all we have to say about the desires and, and the relationship between our desires and faith, that's really not sufficient. That's not saying enough, especially in light of today when we've discovered so much about what our desires are and how it impacts our repentance. And our repentance, when our heart is into it, it is truly grieving over sin. Uh, a true heartfelt grief that can be very distressing. But what answers that in terms of faith? If we, if we go all the way down in this sorrow in our repentance, what, what's going to answer for that with regard to our faith? And that's where some theologians have nothing to say. In fact, there's some theologians that say that really faith only involves the intellect and the will. And so they have nothing to say about this. Well, we have something to say. I'm sure that shocks you that I have something to say about this. But surely desires are more than emotions, but our desires um, are important. Now, just to review very, very briefly, this morning we talked about how the desires are what the heart seeks, what the heart wants, but not in some mild way. It's what the heart seeks or wants ardently and fervently and, and zealously and, and earnestly. It's when you're throwing yourself into it. Like Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, it's not just with your mind, not just with your will. It also includes your desires. And we're told in Scripture that our desires are, are how we do what we do when we're trying to obey God's command to do it with all of our heart. And whether we're talking about worship, talking about your daily walk, talking about obedience or love, or whether we're talking about repentance and faith, it must involve our desires because the command is to love him and to obey him and to believe in him with, with all of our heart. And even as we think of some of the vocabulary for faith that we see in the Bible, so if you're with the older children and you have your outline in front of you, you might, be, might want to be prepared, I might be giving some answers to you for the word scramble there. But some of the words we have in scripture are like trust and accept and look to, flee to, lay hold of, come to, receive, rest, commit yourself to, build on, put on, hunger and thirst and embrace. And oh, I'm sorry, I gave you all the answers to your word scramble there, didn't I? Well, I'm sorry, it's too late now. And so that brings us to why this word receiving, I think is helpful. Now again, I remind you that I'm simply using the words that are in confession, that the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting. And those are the words that we're using in all these three night sessions. And tonight we talk about receiving. And we mean this in the sense that uh, faith is not something that's indifferent. It's, it's more than thinking. It's, it's more than your will. It includes those things. But when faith considers its object, namely Christ, then we will look to Christ with eyes of faith we cannot help but do so in a lively way. We cannot help but do so in an absorbing, with an absorbing interest, with deep conviction, a hearty conviction. And we can't do it in a detached way. It's not a detached commitment or decision because we're considering Christ. So again, I remind you, a few nights ago, I gave this to, last night rather, Jonathan Edwards said, affections 
are the more vigorous and sensible exercises of our heart, which will not abide spiritual things as an indifferent spectator. Imagine somebody who calls himself a fan of their football team sitting in the stands, and their team scores a touchdown, an amazing touchdown, and they go, ho-hum. And some people think that's what faith is, and that, that can't possibly be the case. There, there needs to be something more to it. Otherwise, it's a disappointment. So I had an intern many, many years ago, and uh, his name is Ajalon Church, and um, he's related to somebody here, and so I hope that person here will not tell him the story. But anyway, uh, it was the very first week at Ajalon as my intern. Now, I had met him before in a, in a youth camp, and some of his siblings, his brothers and sisters, but, but we really didn't know each other very well. And so I thought, let's get this internship started off on the, on the right foot. I'm going to take him to my favorite restaurant in Wheaton, Illinois, Mai Tai's, Thai food. It's excellent, excellent food. I love this place. And so after the meal, I said, well, what did you think? And he said, well, it was good. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he kind of, he literally stepped back. He says, are you some foodie or something? I said, that was an incredible meal. How can you act like that? I said, I don't even know if you're a Christian. <laughs> I thought, this is going to be a really rocky internship. This young man's priorities are all bad. Young children, I'm just kind of kidding. He was a Christian. He's a very good Christian. He's our OPC minister in Reading, Pennsylvania. But we're supposed to delight in what we see. Psalm 22:8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Psalm 37:4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is how we're supposed to receive Christ, because Christ is our treasure. Young children, I just gave you an answer as well. Christ is our treasure. Because it's about what we love. When you find your treasure, you're kind of excited about it. You delight in that. And that's why our Lord says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Treasure is not just about thinking. It's not just about making choices. It's about your desires. And so this is why we talk about the longing of faith. Because we seek satisfaction. So I think it's very interesting that uh, you think I'm crazy about food, but this is the language of the Bible. And in fact, one of the ways it likes to talk about faith in the way that we're, we're thinking of this evening is it talks about hunger and thirst. This is one of our Savior's favorite way of describing how we are to crave the kingdom of God. And again, I remind you of what we looked at earlier uh, today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I like that word, satisfied. It's getting up from a good meal and saying, that was just right. And you feel good. Or John 4, 14, when our Lord is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he's, he's speaking directly to this woman who is in her sixth relationship. And Christ is saying, I can offer something to you that these six relationships could not. Or in John chapter 6, verse 48 and following, he says, I am the bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread 
will live forever. This is living water. This is bread that can give eternal life. This is something you should be excited about. And he says the same thing in John chapter 7. And the language of food is so helpful. Why? Because it represents a desperate longing. It represents craving and and delight, hunger and thirst. These have to do with life. You can't live without food. You can't live without Christ. And this is why in Scripture it's okay to be enthusiastic about food. You don't have to drink wine to understand that wine is a metaphor in, in the Scriptures for happiness and joy and the things that God delights in and for us to delight in. This really came home to me when... I had just moved to Escondido, and Carol wasn't with me yet. I was a bachelor for three months, and so um, I would go out to eat quite a bit with people like Joseph Pollard. These guys would take me out and uh, take me to uh, all the inexpensive places in town that students have found, uh, where it's always quantity over quality. Um, But there was one exception, and that was at TJ's. And I went there with Zach Keel, our OPC minister in Escondido, and I had my very first taste of, of autobata, an autobata taco. And I took a bite, and I wasn't sure, because I thought this is a life-changing moment I'm having here. <laughs> and I took another bite, and, and I didn't do what I wanted to do. There was an OPC minister there, because I almost spoke in tongues. And um, I looked down, and there was a rainbow coming out of the, the taco, and I could hear angels singing, and I went home and I called Carol and I said, if we have another child, this name is Autobata. <laughs> I don't care if it's a girl or a boy. I have to tell you another story. Uh, I was uh, speaking at a, a Baptist family camp, and these are dear friends. And one of the ministers who was speaking there was Stuart Oliott. Some of you may have read some of his books, and his preaching was, was just fantastic. And I really fell in love with this man, got to speak with him just a few times. But he really got our attention one time, speaking on a theme kind of similar to this, actually, now I think about it. But he said, you know, when I go to McDonald's and I find out that the the French vanilla cappuccino frozen yogurt machine is not operating, I feel so sad. (laughs) But when I go to the door and I find out that the French vanilla cappuccino frozen yogurt machine is working, I go, yes! (laughs) And anybody asleep in the room woke up and thought, this is it, the Lord is coming, because they thought they they heard a trumpet. But there's something to this, and I'm I'm kind of overstating the the matter, except for the autobata. I'm not overstating that at all. But you see what Scripture uses this language to say, are you even awake? We're talking about receiving Christ a new life, a new beginning. We have these beautiful invitations from Christ in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation to life. How should we respond to an invitation like that. So that's why the word receiving, I think, is helpful. And it's the very language of Scripture, because receiving means believing in or accepting Christ. Faith is receiving Christ. Faith receives Christ. And so we have this language. Let me just give you a few examples of this in Scripture so you don't think I'm making it up. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Or in John verse 111, which I just read, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. But it's not just receiving Christ. What's interesting, and this is so relevant for us, it's also receiving the word and receiving the message. This is how uh, John speaks of it in John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Or think of how Paul compliments the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Or in John 5.43, our Savior says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And so it's about this receiving the word of God or the message, like in Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. That's speaking of Peter's preaching. Or in 1 Corinthians 15.1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Or 2 Corinthians 11.4, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus and the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So all these things are speaking about the importance of receiving the word and the message, but it also involves receiving the messenger, those that Christ sends. So in Matthew 10.14, it says, if anyone will not receive you, or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Now, these verses are saying essentially the same thing, that receiving Christ today means that we receive the message of the gospel when it's preached to us faithfully, that we are to receive uh, that word that comes to us through those who preach the gospel. And when Christ is preaching, is, is preached faithfully, we are to hear it as if we were hearing Christ himself, that we would accept him. That's why preaching of the gospel is so important. And that's why it's so crucial that that preaching is faithful and clear and that that preaching leads to Christ and doesn't make it difficult for people to understand what the message is. And that's why Christ says, uh, like something like this in John 13, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message that the messenger brings. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we preachers, we are ambassadors of Christ. And that's a very helpful window into what we're talking about because the ambassador doesn't matter. It's the message that the ambassador brings because the ambassador represents somebody else. It's the one who sent the ambassador. The ambassador doesn't even have an opinion. He doesn't tell you what he thinks. He simply tells you what the one who sent him has said. And that's, how, that's what makes him a faithful ambassador. Is he truly bringing the message of the one who sent him? And Christ says that, that he sends these ambassadors into the world and we should receive their message when it's faithful as if we're receiving it from Christ as if we're receiving Christ himself. That's why this is so important. So how should we receive such a message? 
Well, how do we receive other messages? Whether we get them through a phone call or through a text message that brings us good news. You get that, that phone call from your parent or your child that the surgery went well. Or you get that text message from your best, best friend and said, I'm so happy that the test came back negative. Or when you get that phone call from your oldest child, your adult child, who tells you we're expecting. And then nine months later, you get another phone call and says the baby was delivered safely. Mom and baby are well. Or to give the message that I gave to my own father when I called him to tell them we're naming our son after you. Or you got news of, through a phone call or a text message or a letter that you got accepted uh, to that program. You were accepted to that school or you got the job. Or a message that from your friend who went down to state that your team just won the state championship. Or imagine receiving this message. My wife was on, a, was on an airplane and halfway through the trip, the captain comes on the intercom, which is never a good thing, right? But that's it was not bad news. He says, a ruling just came down. If you wish, you can take off your mask. <laughs> what do you think happened on that plane? As soon as I heard that message, I went on YouTube because I knew there would be videos there, and there were, of flight attendants crying. And one coming down the aisle with a trash can, singing a song, making it up as it goes, throw away your mask. I've got the trash for you. It was, it was better than that. But how do we receive those messages? Could you imagine getting this message that your first grandchild was just delivered and is safe, and you say, oh, that's nice. How's the weather there today, by the way? How should you receive the message of the gospel? Why do we call it good news? Is it just data? Is it just facts? It's the best message you can hear. There is no better word that you could ever hear. How should you receive it? With your desires. You should receive the message of the gospel. You should receive Christ with all your heart. Because when you think of what the gospel is, it's this, it's this amazing thing that Christ died a death that you and I could not endure. That he carried a burden that you and I could not bear. That he conquered an enemy that you and I could never possibly defeat. He gained a victory that you and I could not obtain. He won a salvation that we do not deserve. And he did his work so completely, completely that there's nothing more that needs to be done. There's nothing more that needs to be secured. There's nothing more that needs to be accomplished by him. There's nothing more that he needs to satisfy or to fulfill. He's done it all. He's paid it all. Everything that was an obstacle between you and heaven has been removed by our Savior. Where are you going to find a more pure sacrifice than the sacrifice that Christ has provided? Where are you going to find a greater ransom? Where are you going to find a more sure redemption than, than what Christ has secured? Where are you going to find a more sure hope than this? Where are you going to find a greater love than this? Where can you find or hear greater news than this? 
So how do you receive this message tonight? How do you receive this good news? How do you receive this Savior? I hope your answer is with all your heart, all of it. And this good news is something to rejoice in. And I know we joke sometimes about being Presbyterians, but it's okay to be happy. It's okay to rejoice. It's okay to exude the joy of the Lord. It's okay to be magnetic and to show other people and tell other people how wonderful this is. This amazing message that he would have anything to do with us at all. But to go to this extent, to pay this price, how do you receive that? We receive it with joy. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we thank you for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to rescue sinners from their misery, from the condemnation of their sin, from the reigning power of sin, to deliver them from death and from the devil. And we are so grateful, Father, that you have opened our hearts to see him, not just to see our sin, but to see him and to see him for what he is and for who he is and to love him for it. So, Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us about our faith and where it falls short, where we need to learn, how we need to grow. And we know that you are patient and kind. You will do this very thing. Continue to instruct us through your word and grant us your spirit and the encouragement of the saints. Do this, Father, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we go to Q&A... Uh, for the young people, if you have your word scramble there, I want to give you the answers just to make sure that you have them. So if you look there, so starting on the top on the left, the first word is trust. Yes, see, I like that. Yes, I heard that. Yes. Second word is accept. Yes. The third word is look, then flee. Well, come on, you can do it louder than that. Lay hold. Come, re receive, rest. Can I get an amen? All right. Commit, build, put on, hunger, thirst, and embrace. Yeah. Okay. That was kind of a whimper, but I did. Good job. Okay. So we have time, I believe, for a few questions. That's all right. We can go outside and more of us get injured. <laughs> that was funny for us, but... No? I was wondering if you've ever met anyone with the same passion for food that you have. And in addition, do you have any recommendations for resources on, you know... Reading more or learning more about how the Bible talks about food and how we can think about our relationship with food and how that points us to God. Sister, we do not I'm have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Everything important in the Bible that happens, food is involved. Very first sin in the Bible involves food. Heaven is filled with feasts. Um, 
It's it, Passover, Lord's Supper, it's food, food, food. And um, I, I really don't. I have met some people who share this. Of Zach Keel, our pastor, our OPC minister, Escondido, is an amazing cook. An amazing cook. And, and we share this, this love. And my pastor, Eric Watkins, also um, enjoys food. But he tells me, I think this is a myth, he says, Bill Shishko is a greater foodie than I am. Now, I happen to know he's a, he's a very good cook. And he's, he's in a great city if you like Italian food. But no, I, I don't know much. I just know what I like. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of it. Just don't do it too much. You know, that's, you just need to, be, you know, not go crazy. But this is a gift from God. And um, I was preaching through Isaiah, and there's one portion of scripture I said, this passage really frightens me because it makes, sound, it makes heaven sound vegetarian, and I'm really concerned about that. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I live in California now, so I've come to appreciate uh, different diets but, um, and to be careful. But I, but I, I think that um, the doctrine of the new heavens, new earth teaches us that we have a, we'll ground beneath our feet a blue sky over our head. It will probably be located in Nebraska. That's how I think of it. But there will be food. And we'll have glorified bodies that function perfectly. I mean, perfect efficiency. We'll be perfect and glorified and no food would be a disappointment and I think and, he, and I really mean this heaven is not anticlimactic and we tend to think of it in these ethereal ways and uh, the joys that we feel in this life it's like this it's a thimble compared to what is awaiting us in heaven and of course food is not the greatest thing in heaven it's it's Christ it's the Lord God himself and to in the fellowship of the saints I, re I remember, this is relevant for, for young people. Uh, one night, it was at a high school camp I was speaking at, and we were talking about heaven, and two, two young teenagers came up to me, these girls, and they were just crying. And they said, um, we're really concerned about ourselves because you were talking about heaven, and we're concerned that we love earth too much because one of the things we love about camp is we come to camp and we see each other. And it's just so wonderful uh, to be together. And uh, we're just wondering if we have wrong priorities that we're not happy about going to heaven because when we say goodbye, it's so hard. And, and I was, it was just a beautiful thing they were saying. And I said, what you're telling me is that what you really enjoy is coming together and fellowship. And the hardest thing is saying goodbye. And they said, yeah, that's, that's true. In heaven, we never say goodbye. And we're fellowshipping with each other, but without sin, and nobody's looking at the watch. I mean, there's, there's time. There's never enough time at camp. There's not enough time for me to have conversations with all the people I want to meet, even the people I know. There's no restriction like that in heaven. I said, what you are tasting right now is a piece of heaven. And so rejoice in that, where there'll be a place where there'll no longer be any goodbyes and no more tears. What they were longing for, what they were feeling, was a taste of heaven itself. I think food is that way. I think friendship is that way. I think family is that way and love. Uh, moving to California has been wonderful. This is an amazingly beautiful state. And falling in love with the desert. How can the desert be so beautiful? It is. Just as long as you have plenty of water. That's what Mark Nelson would say. Hydrate. It's beautiful. All right, another question right there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not in charge of the microphone. So going on the topic of food, uh, Romans 14.2 uh, says, 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. If you can elaborate on that. No, I am not going to touch that. No, I know where I am. I, I went to college. I know about these things. That, no, that's, that's a difficult passage, but the takeaway is that neither the weak or the stronger brother is to judge or condemn the other. We, we need to find a way to get along in this, and, and so uh, that's all I'd, I'd prefer to say, Carrie. But thank you for that, that loving question. I can just feel it from here. But. Um, you talked about receiving the whole time, and I noticed in the OP, we don't say we receive Christ when we come to know him. We usually say something like, God save me, and I wonder why we don't use that phrase in our denomination. I'd used it. Well, yeah, but it's not a common among us people. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, Carol, if that's true. That probably is true. We do, t well, I, so let's, let's take what's true about it, that we do put a strong emphasis upon God's sovereignty. And I thought about this, too, about how to answer this question. Faith is, is a gift that's given to us. We talked the first time. It's wrought. It's worked in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So we would have no faith. And we're talking about saving faith, not just general faith, that when I turn on the switch, the lights will go on. That's, that's not what we're talking about. So saving faith is wrought in the heart by, by the Holy Spirit. But faith, as John Murray says, is what we're commanded to do. God does not believe for us. We are commanded to believe. So he transforms us. He does not bypass our nature. He transforms our nature so that we are, we are able to do that. Now, there's something I passed over last night. If you thought, there seemed to be something missing from last night's presentation because I skipped over half my notes. I got lost. So let me, let me read this, uh, which I should have read last night. could have read tonight. This is one of my favorite words. Effectual calling, so the short of Catechism 31, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. This is a fabulous word to embrace Jesus Christ. It's similar to receive. It's when you have reconciled with a friend and you've been distant from them and there's been tension and ice and finally it breaks through. You, you say, I'm sorry, they forgive you. What do you do? You often embrace. They're receiving you. They're receiving you back. And so perhaps uh, the emphasis that we place theologically upon sovereignty causes us to neglect the fact that, that, that we are called to the stewardship of faith and to exercise it. And we have this plethora of words, these many, many words, like I read earlier, to, to describe it from every conceivable angle, that this is what you are to do. You are to build your life upon Jesus Christ. You are to rest in him, as we'll see tomorrow night, and all these other words. But embrace is, is a wonderfully personal way of expressing it. So I don't know, you should start a revolution and start talking about receiving Christ. I do think the reason I think you're on to something is because I think in our circles we are hesitant to talk about having a personal relationship with Christ. But what I keep saying over and over and over, repentance and faith is personal. It's personal for me, it's personal for you, it's personal for God. When I sin, I'm sinning against a person. It's personal. But when I believe and when I receive Christ, it's personal because I love him and I'm trusting in him. So that's my answer. I just don't know if that's true everywhere. But there, there are some phrases we, we steer away from because they're not so helpful. But, but this one, I think, is, is, is fantastic. Uh, 
Um, so touching again on something from the morning session, but also with something you mentioned tonight, um, where this morning you were speaking about transparency regarding our guilt, and then at the very end this evening about how it's okay to be happy um, and for that to show. Um, so growing up in the OP, um, sadly there wasn't much transparency on either end of the spectrum. And um, that led to um, the way that I dealt with, or rather didn't deal with, a lot of the problems that I had, especially as a teenager, um, because I didn't hear specifically about other believers in the church struggling with these kinds of things, or speaking about the joy of overcoming some of these things that I was dealing with or um, giving into. Um, so, how, and that led me to distance myself and, you know, draw away, and I know a significant number of um, the younger people that grew up at the same time as me dealt with the same thing. Um, so how can we, going forward, um, knowing that, you know, our young people are going to be dealing with even more? I mean, I know it's like something like a third of all millennials are depressed or have had depression, and I'm sure with right. Gen Z it's even worse. So how do we find a balance of a transparency that creates an environment for them to be more open regarding what they're um, struggling with, what they're afraid of, um, without falling into the trap of you know, gratuitous um, transparency like you mentioned this morning? Yeah, I th I, that's very good. And I think there's, there's probably lots of things that we could do. I think it's very important that the adults leaders, all the adults, not just the pastors, elders, deacons, all the adults, set a culture where our children understand that this is where we want them to ask their questions. Um, so in my former congregation, I decided to do a 12-week series on doubt. And I'll tell you, the, the one principal reason I did it was not only because I was curious about it and wanted to talk about it, but because I wanted to send a message that this is okay for us to talk about. And one of the things I said in that class to parents was, your child has a question. It's, it's a really difficult question. They have options. They can choose door number, number one. They can Google it. Door number two is they talk to their friends at school. Or number three, they could ask you. They could ask us. And so it means that when our children come to us and they're honest, we always, we always reward them, always reward them. When our children are honest with us, we reward them. We never, ever punish our children for being honest. We never punish our spouse for being honest. When they bring honest questions, we thank them and we reward them and we show them that this was amazingly courageous of them to do this. And that begins to set a new culture when adults talk like that and when we approach our children. And, you know, it's okay to, to offer correctives to former generations, uh, each generation. This was a good question we had um, this morning about, or maybe it was yesterday, I forget now. Um, anyway, that each generation has its own struggles. But I, I, I understand this. The generation before me, uh, Fathers in particular were not exactly open about telling their children they loved them. That was a common thing that children my age experienced. And that, that's been corrected. 
And there can be over-transparency, as, as we said. But I think talking about that, and I think it's helpful when adults approach teenagers especially and, and talk to them and just get to know them. Uh, so that's one thing. There's things that we can do uh, formally and officially, but I think just kind of sending that message, I really don't think it takes a lot. I think it's just a little bit of leaven grows. Uh, just have a couple of families start to show hospitality, it spreads in a church. Uh, creating a culture like this, I don't think would take a lot of people to begin to do this. And it begins with you, Mark, and to, and to show other people it's okay. There needs to be discretion. We talked about that this morning. You know, there definitely are, are ditches here that we need to avoid. But I, I think that the church, we desperately need our young people to know that the church is a place where they can ask any question they want. Any question they want. So um, this isn't a question, but I think that's a wonderful place to close the Q&A here and to remind all of the young folks that we are doing just that. We've got a tremendous resource here in Pastor Troxel. I encourage all the young folks to meet up there that have questions that want more in-depth answers and want to hear other people ask the same questions that maybe you're at. You want to ask, but you don't want to ask, and it might get asked. Um, but we will have that in about 10 or 15 minutes. We'll call you in. And uh, Pastor, if you'll close us in prayer, brother, sure. I think we're good. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you that you are the God of answers and that you grant to us the truth. You revealed the truth to us. And uh, there is so much that you have invited us to explore and to understand. But Father, we do struggle with questions, and many of those questions do not arise from the mind, they are the real struggles we have in our desires and our will. We are um, in a great, great battle with this world and even with ourselves many times. And so we do pray, Father, in particular for anyone here who is struggling with such questions, whether about themselves or about scripture or about you. And we pray, Father, that you would bring to them those, those good counselors and those people that they know they can trust and ask them and to seek their guidance and their help. But we do pray most especially that they would open your word, that they would go to their knees and present these requests to you and to have the confidence that you hear them, that you will help them. Even as you've helped all of us with regard to our most desperate question of all, how may I be saved? And you've answered so well in granting to us Christ and to receive him and thus to receive life. We thank you for the, all these things, Father, and being with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.